Hello and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Delore, the podcast where we dissect popular mottos, mantras and metaphors, tracing their origins and finding how they translate to everyday life. Each week we have a special guest who resonates with their chosen expression. Have you ever been torn between family and friends? It's not an easy position to be in, is it? But I guess it depends on the types of friends you keep and the families that you were born into. I know we don't have a choice in that, right? This week's metaphor has put many relationships in turmoil and put many friendships to the test. My guest today has had to deal with the repercussions of this week's metaphor professionally and most probably in her personal life too. Have you guessed what our metaphor might be? Well, it's blood is thicker than water. Our guest today is Jen Brandel, who is a psychotherapist and author of a book about metaphors. Will she agree with the way I see the metaphor blood is thicker than water? Stay with us to find out. But before we chat with Jen, let's explore this phrase, one we may have all heard at some point in our lives, even if we weren't quite sure what it meant. Our metaphor today is one that in recent years has been finding its usage weaning. Whether it is the sign of the times or not is to be decided as we dive into blood is thicker than water. The meaning of which is no matter the relationship you may have with friends, romantic partners or co-workers, it will never be as strong as or important as the bonds of family. In modern times, this phrase seemingly has lost its appeal, but we can see its usage in nostalgic pop culture through music, musicals and movie references to see its significance and maybe understand why the phrase has lost its weight. The real see through the faith. You gotta grind through this shit. You do whatever it takes. You gotta take care of who you love. Give your mama continuous hugs. Stop having all these expectations from people who ain't your blood. I'm sure we've all heard at one point a comment from a family member. Maybe it's one we aren't that fond of. They're bemoaning about a cousin who didn't make it to the family event because they were out with their partner. Family comes first, they'll say. And while they aren't wrong to a certain extent, you'll think about how that isn't really the case anymore. You know you'd definitely rather be out for a drink with your friends than having to hear a drunken speech from that uncle, you know the one. But it gets you thinking all the same. Is family truly the most important relationship you can have in your life? We both said that we were leaving the life behind. He's right. We're family. We got a problem, we deal with it together. And I'll feel safer knowing you're both out there, watching each other's backs. You're stronger together. You always were. Well, author of Covenant, The Blood is the Life, 2011, James Linderman, would have you believe that that was the original intention behind the phrase and that blood is thicker than water is in fact a misinterpretation of the original phrase. He believes that another author, Harry Trumbull, referenced the original quote, which is, blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. 
Now this provides the complete opposite meaning than the original. The blood of the confidant is in regards to the social ties one forms with others. These social ties most likely could be referring to the bonds between soldiers in war. The literal blood shed they share with one another, forming almost blood brother-like bonds, are stronger than those of family as your experiences join you. Liam. We're brothers now. What? Oh, God, that's... What are you talking about? We just met... It was later discovered the origin of this full phrase from Trundle was false. In fact, the reference Trundle makes in his book, The Blood Covenant, blood is thicker than milk, is seemingly what Lindemann mistook for a new coining of the phrase. However, this is an entirely separate idiom of Arabic origins. This phrase is intended to mean the bond you make outside of family. The blood in war with your comrades is stronger than familial ties, the milk which is from the breast of the mother. While this phrase does mean what Lindemann suggested, it is entirely different to the original phrase, blood is thicker than water, which dates back to medieval Germany in 1180 in Reynard the Fox by Heinrich de Gligeser. Jen Brandel is a psychotherapist and author of the book, When Rabbits Spill Their Tea, Metaphors to Guide Us Through Difficult Times. So we just had to get her take on our metaphor, blood is thicker than water. Jen, you are the author of a book about metaphors. So I'm looking forward to discussing with you uh, why you think that metaphors have the power to motivate us. But of course, this is metaphorically speaking. So we have a metaphor to discuss with you. And that metaphor is blood is thicker than water. How does it resonate with you personally and is it ever a factor in your work and in your career? It's, it, it's such a good example of the ways in which um, we draw meaning from metaphors and how that meaning can change. Um, that particular metaphor, very often, um, our understanding of it is actually uh, a bit distorted. The, the actual... The, usually when we hear that phrase, what we associate with it is, is that its meaning is that familial bonds are sort of the strongest, most highest priority bonds that we have, um, that, that our connections with family members take precedent over other kinds of relationships we might have. Um, the original quote is actually the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. And so it was meant to imply that um, bonds that are formed in battle are actually stronger than the bonds based solely on familial connection. Um, so the kinds of relationships that we have that are based on shared experiences, especially formative shared experiences, may actually be stronger than bonds that are just based on being born into the same family. Um, so when I think about that context for that quote, um, it does resonate for me. The idea that whether it's with people who are in your you know, generational and uh, genetic family or, um, or other people that you meet along your journey, that 
our strongest connections tend to be ones where we have a shared legacy. Um, we have shared experiences and history. We've deeply impacted one another, and we may have associations and and positive um, references for those bonds. And that those actually those kinds of relationships we tend to experience as stronger, stronger and more having greater longevity. But in your work, uh, because you work strongly with communications and also relationships and, uh, you know, uh, emotional patterns and so on, has that metaphor ever come into conflict with the people you talk to? I think, you know, the idea, um, when it's, when it's read or when it's interpreted as meaning familial bonds take precedence kind of regardless of the quality or context of those relationships, I think people can feel a kind of pressure. Um, I can think of, um, conversations I've had with people where they have felt there's kind of an obligatory bond that they experience with their family. Um, and versus of, of when people talk about relationships with family or with other people in their lives, where it just feels like this genuine kind of um, uh, connection and um, kind of mutually feeding relationship with one another. And so I think there are times when I'll hear people talk about something and you can kind of hear that that particular relationship connection may be more fraught or it may have a complicated history or it may be with somebody who they don't know very well. I've heard people talk about, you know, being invited to a cousin's wedding who they met once, but feeling like there's a pressure for them to prioritize that plan over a plan with dear friends they've had for decades. Um, so I think that 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 the kind of misreading of that metaphor can sometimes generate a pressure that people feel. Well, I have a dilemma for you. How would you um, think of advising or how would you tell someone that they should think about it in this type of scenario? And this is a scenario of blood is sicker than water. So I have an issue that I want to discuss for a second opinion. Um, I've told my husband, but you know, he's biased, he loves me. So he's gonna tell me what, what he thinks I wanna hear, right? Um, I'm thinking of telling my best friend, but I don't wanna tell my best friend because first, because I think that my family will think, well, why didn't you come to us too? Right. Or come right. to us first? But right. my family at the moment, every one of them, the, the close family members who I would want to talk to, I know that they've got their own personal issues right. in yeah. their lives. Right. So I'm not sure, who do I tell? I'm stuck in this rut of, I want to talk to someone, but I don't know who to talk to first. Well, I think it's about really honoring our right to our boundaries. And, to, and instead of thinking about boundaries as being sort of a, a, a cruel thing or a withholding thing or a thing that we use to punish people, boundaries are actually what generates the most healthy connections that we have. Um, without boundaries, relationships tend to um, be fraught and anxiety provoking. And so really thinking about it in terms of 
trusting your instincts around what um, boundaries you want to have within those relationships around a particular moment. So that may vary. There may be times that you want to confide in a particular family member and you feel like they, you know, maybe they're unbiased in that moment or they have a perspective that would be useful. Um, So I think like when you were sharing, sometimes when we're sharing with people, they have their own vested interest in that particular issue. So they may not be able to offer us the kind of objectivity um, that we're needing in that moment. Um, It's not about them not being a valued member of our community. It's about... Um, us looking for some objectivity. Um, And I think there are times where we may feel like um, there are some people that we're ready to share something with and other times when we may not be quite as ready. And I think really honoring our instincts around our boundaries is what allows us to show up more, more authentically in relationships and trusting in that, if that makes sense. It does, but I'm still thinking... I'm still not sure which person to go to because I want to, let's say there are two members in my family and I know that if I go to them with this, they're going to give me the most, you know, unbiased account or what, and I value what they're saying. Um, But I know that they both have some really serious issues going on at this point in time. Um, And my best friend, she, you know, as far as I know, as far as I know, mm-hmm, she, right. she's, you know, getting on. She's got her issues, but nothing as grave as, as my family. But I know that my family is going to be offended if I didn't think to come to them before I went to someone who is not a family member. How do I try to gauge who I should go to first? Well, what's tricky is that we don't have control over how someone else interprets our action. So you may be saying, wow, I'm really thinking about my family members really overwhelmed with their own stuff. And so my not sharing this in this moment may be an attempt to like avoid burdening them or distracting them from their own work or their own focus. And that that actually is a very loving way to think about it, you know, of an attempt to try to take care of your family member. Now, they may interpret it as you don't care enough about me or you didn't trust me or you don't value me enough and we don't have control over that but what I usually will say to people is you can rest clear in what your reality and your truth is that you can know how valuable your family member is to you and whether you choose to share this with them or you don't you may be able to say at any point that someone expresses I'm mad or upset because you didn't share this piece of information with me at this particular time you can share with them well I'm really sorry that that's how you experienced it because I love you so much and you're such an incredibly valuable resource to me And in my own processing of this and working through it, I've had to kind of look for what my readiness is of when to share. And in that particular moment, I didn't feel like I could share with you yet. Um, But that's really all we can do. We can't control if somebody has a hurt feeling or has interpreted it in a way that we didn't intend. Now, you know, although this was a scenario I gave you, I think that most of us have been in that 
kind oh, of scenario, absolutely. haven't we? Absolutely. It, 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 it might not be that exactly, but very, very similar where we just don't know. And sometimes it's not even a best friend. It's maybe someone you, you, who you've recently met, but they somehow, they just get it. They understand you right. quite well, right. you know, so they're different types exactly. of... Yeah. And the other thing is, in talking about this, I'm thinking this actually fits both of your books in terms of how to deal with that. So when we're looking at my crisis plan, I think that that's just a wonderful concept in terms of, and especially I love the kind of workbook type edition where lots of questions and answers um, are are there. So you have the questions and you provide your own answers, but at the same time, there are answers in the book. And I feel that that is, when you're into a scenario like this, you can actually kind of go through some of the questions that have been asked there and which will help you to make a decision that you feel more comfortable with. So yes, we're going to talk about uh, when rabbits spill their tea, but let's talk a little about my crisis plan because I think in a scenario like this where we have to think of blood being thicker than water, this may help. Yeah, it's it's funny, Delia, because that particular book, um, I I wrote it and published it uh, at the beginning of, of sort of the, the peak of the pandemic, um, the early stages of the pandemic. And what I was finding as a therapist was as people were socially isolated, as they were in lockdown from the pandemic and feeling so much fear, and there were so many things that were happening around us in the world at that time, um, the demand for services went up, but people's isolation also increased. And so what I was finding is with a lot of clients, their need was so great and their availability and accessibility around like support services was more limited. And so I kept feeling this frustration of the system that's set up where there's a professional person who can is the one who can bring you relief. And if you can't reach them, then you had a luck. You're just stuck in your suffering. That just didn't seem to fit. There had to be another way. And in my work with clients, I'm always inspired because the resourcefulness that each person have, I, I really believe that we have within us our ability and all the tools and perspective and resiliency that we need to heal ourselves. And so I was trying to think of there's got to be a way to mobilize that. Um, and so I looked around and I tried to see if there's some way that we could kind of, you know, just a simple, simple way when people are really stuck in the darkness where they can mobilize those internal resources. And I couldn't really find something that was exactly what I was thinking of, something really, really simple and small that you could carry with you. You know, you could even scan it into your phone and have it with you all the time. Um, And so I decided to just make it. Um, so that it existed. Um, and what I did was I actually donated copies of it to, you know, crisis hotlines and college counseling centers. And, you know, as I had clients who would be in crisis, I would share it with them and donate it to them. So it, it, it's a book that, um, I don't receive any of the profits. All, 100% of the profits from that book go directly to 
the suicide prevention lifeline. Um, so the point of the book was really just I saw a gap in resources and felt like this was something that was structured to help us reflect and find those tools and those answers within ourselves. So you're right, like when you were giving that example, being able to kind of sit down and focus and walk yourself through some of the questions and the grounding techniques means it puts us better in touch with some of that inner wisdom and out of that is where you probably get the answer of who do I want to talk to and share this with and when. Lovely. So when rabbits spill their tea, tell us about this book. So I, I joked with somebody recently that I think I wrote the book that I needed. <laughs> 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 that um, I, over the years in my practice, um, I have had clients joke with me that I'm, I'm very visual. And so I tend to think very visually and very often in my work, um, I use metaphors that are really kind of co-created with my clients. Um, and I decided, you know, these are things that are actually pretty universal and that it may be really valuable to try to collect some of them and share them in case they resonate with other people. And so I put together this book, um, that is just the whole book is metaphors that have a corresponding full color photograph next to it. Um, and so it's made so that you can certainly read through it from cover to cover, but you also can kind of open it to any page and reflect on that or leave it open on a desk and meditate on that one particular metaphor in a particular day. Um, but the idea of it is that metaphors are a really, really effective way of communicating complex emotional experiences in a way that's concentrated and accessible and relatable and for a lot of people is very experiential sometimes when we hear a metaphor it's almost like you feel the metaphor so if i'm talking to somebody you know about you know them feeling really judgmental about themselves because there's a particular coping tool that they're using like drugs or alcohol and they feel like, you know, they're engaged in this behavior and they're using it as an avoidance technique to cope. You know, I might share with them the idea or the image that if there was a screw in the wall and I gave them a hammer, they could get the screw out of the wall with the hammer. They're going to leave a gaping hole in the wall, but they could get it out. But if I give them a screwdriver, they can get the screw out more cleanly and efficiently. And so when we're thinking about our coping tools, we do the best we can with what we have access to. And so if in a particular moment we are using a coping tool to survive, and it's not the prettiest thing, and it's maybe not the healthiest thing, but it's keeping us alive, then we can remove some of that self-judgment and appreciate we are doing the best that we can. It's also an indication for us we may need some other tools. And that's where we may mobilize some supports and resources or therapy or a rehab or whatever we might need to help us expand our tool set so that we can we have other choices for how to cope that actually might be more effective. So I feel like that's an example of how me just trying to communicate that idea to somebody may not be as effective as that image is for them. Mm. Well, you know, you explaining that, 
it was quite visual for me when you were explaining mm. that. Um, but it also made me think, you know, metaphors, when they, generally speaking, most of the metaphors, when they were first used, they were used as positive things, as you are using them now. But right. then as time went on, the meanings changed and they, were, and they became more negative than they were positive. And I feel that now there's a resurgence of trying to get some of these metaphors to mean a more uh, positive, yes, or to have a more positive exactly. outlook. Exactly. And like with any kind of language, empowering ourselves to adapt the language so that it means what we need it to mean and can resonate in the way that we would like it to resonate. And so that's why I do feel like our ability, and this is where like, I'm so impressed with when I'm working with people and often when they're describing something that they feel, there is a visual component to it. It's like, I may not have had their exact lived experience, right? Like I may not have that exact reference, but if somebody says to me, ah, oh, you know, my sister can be like a blender with the lid off. Even if that's all they say, I kind of know what they mean. Yeah. You know? like, I'm like, oh my God, because we all can relate to experiencing somebody in our lives who's kind of emoting all over the place and kind of splattering everybody around them with their feelings, you know, not having good boundaries. And so that's where I feel like that way of using language and communication, it's a way for us to connect and really resonate with one another. And it empowers us then with this image or this idea or this scene or a story that we can use to actually help find relief or healing. So if you're holding on to the idea of I'm in a relationship with somebody who's a blender with the lid off, even the image itself kind of starts to give you a clue about what might help. Like, would it help to put a lid on it? Would it help to get a little distance so when it's splattering, you're outside of the rain? Yeah. You know, they yeah. have a boundary, right? So I feel like sometimes the answers, can we can find them in the language and in the images themselves. Definitely. I see that. I really do. So how can we get hold of your books? So um, both books um, are available at, on Amazon. And... Uh, when Rabbits Spill Their Tea, I know is available internationally at independent bookstores on, I think, all online bookstores. Um, there's a link on my website, which is just jenbrandle.com. Um, but, you know, as I said, my crisis plan is a book that all of the profits from that book go straight to charity. Um, and when rabbits spill their tea, I'll tell you what, I, I was joking with somebody earlier and I said, if I hadn't written the book, this would be the gift that I would give so many people in my life because it's such a, it's a beautiful book. It's like a simple book and it's something that everybody can relate to. So, um, it's not, it's, it, there's a lot of humor in it. Like I, I really feel like given you know, the state of the world at the moment is that as you were sort of saying, it's time for a little more positivity. And I really felt like this book kind of captures that. So, um, but yeah, it's available at, at anywhere you can buy a book. Um, you can find, you should be able to find it. How did you find that title? That was again, another collaborative process. I, I, within the book, I was joking with somebody within the book, there is 
a metaphor about spilling tea and there is a metaphor about rabbits. It's not necessarily a metaphor about rabbits spilling their tea, but it was sort of like a merging of the idea of these images and the way the images themselves can be really evocative for us. So it just, you know, a, a friend of mine had just sort of thrown that out there as a way to capture it and it just landed and I was like, that's it. So, and it is, it's very compelling as a title. I love it. It is, because I admit, I searched, because I thought, I've not heard this one before. And I searched, <laughs> and my researchers searched, and we couldn't see that. We saw what you just said, but we thought, you know what? Um, they said, this is most probably, you know, a collaboration of some sort or whatever. Exactly. We couldn't find exactly. anything. So they'll be very happy to know that they were <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Jen, thank you so much for the time you spent with us today. Thank you for having me. In the first half of this episode, you heard the story of how the phrase we are discussing today nearly took on a new meaning in relation to the changing ways of this new age. To finish the show, however, we will be looking at how this family-first idiom is respected within other cultures, even if it is not as steadfast as it once was in Western society. In recent years, exploration of other cultures through media has been expanding. Through the use of today's idiom, we can examine how different cultures and societies may view the usage of blood is thicker than water in comparison to us. One such example of blood is thicker than water and its strengths within the bonds of family can be seen in Disney's Oscar-winning animated movie Encanto. Encanto tells the story of Mirabelle and her magical family and the struggles they face as individuals and as a family unit. What adds the additional layers to this film's message is the significance of family within Latin American culture, which is personified within this movie. In the Colombian community, family is not just your immediate family of parents and children, it is your extended family also. As seen within the movie, the magical household homes more than one family member, all aunts, uncles, cousins, siblings, elders, parents and so forth live under the one roof and are treated as one extended family unit, which in comparison to say many American families isn't commonly seen. The movie follows the highs, lows, strengths and weaknesses within this family unit, examines generational trauma and shows that the phrase blood is thicker than water for at least Mirabel's family is accurate. We are a family because of you and nothing could ever be broken that we can't fix together. I asked my Pedro for help. Mirabel. He sent me you. Another recent Disney film, though in this case one from the vein of Pixar, followed a similar theme but within a different culture. Turning Red, the 2022 animated Pixar film, follows Milin, a Chinese Canadian 13-year-old girl who struggles with finding herself as a person and following the wishes of her mother, Ming. 
just as we discussed, Encanto's Latin culture and its importance of family, Chinese culture follows a similar vein. Dynamics within Chinese communities, specifically Chinese immigrant families like Melin's, are developed through a mutual understanding of a healthy relationship between parent and child, as explored in the 2017 study, Parent-Adolescent Relationships Among Chinese Immigrant Families, an Indigenous Concept of Qin, by Chunxia Wu and Ruth K. Kao. This concept of Qin, which translates to being close to, is intended to be benevolent parenting, such as devotion, sacrifice, thoughtfulness, and discipline. These aspects are also intended to be reciprocated by the child in return. We can see this within the Lee family. Melin values her mother's love and attention and wishes to not fail her. However, it is her mother's devotion to her and the extremes that come with it, which can fall under the title of authoritarian parenting that leads to a fracturing in their relationship. Melin works hard to keep their relationship the same, but finds herself hiding parts of who she is to not damage their relationship out of fear of her mother's response. Ming has lost the thoughtfulness of her parenting, leading to this building conflict that, when confronted with what appears to be an insult to the parent-child dynamic, causes the fracture to grow. It is only in being open and honest with one another and breaking the chain of generational trauma that the two are able to rekindle their relationship in a new and better way. Blood is thicker than water is relevant to the situation because in the end their bond as a family has strengthened after all they have been through, which is exactly what being a family to Miling is all about having. Be careful. Honoring your parents sounds great. But if you take it too far, well, you might forget to honor yourself. Blood is thicker than water is a phrase that holds many different meanings in some ways. Family first, the bonds of a family are stronger than most. And even the bonds of a relationship that creates a family is the deepest kind. What is often the strongest bond, whether family, blood or not, is the want for your loved one to be healthy and happy, as discussed by marriage and family therapist Jeannie Y. Chang on her channel Nunes Nunchi. She says it's to take care of yourself as a parent, to be healthy for a long time, not to be enduring the pain to save money for the sake of children, but to take care of yourself and live a healthy, long life. That's what she said. Family can get through anything. You just have to be open to do so. That is why blood is thicker than water. So when you next think of the phrase blood is thicker than water, what kind of relationship will you think of? Will you think about the highs and lows of immediate family? Or could you go on to consider those of distant relation to fall under that category of true family, like in Encanto? Or maybe you'll seek out mutual respect and understanding like Melling and Ming in Turning Red. Whatever it may be, as much as the phrase makes you think that blood is everything, maybe you yourself will come to learn that though blood is thicker than water, family can mean many different things. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Metaphorically Speaking. Thank you, Jen Brandel, for speaking with me today. 
Wasn't her take on blood is thicker than water really interesting? Don't forget, if you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach me at colourful.com slash shows slash Delia and use the contact tab or email info at metaphoricallyspeaking.uk. And we'd love you to share the show with your friends and family or leave a review on colourful.com or on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify and all major streaming platforms. We depend on you to help us grow so we can produce the best content for you to enjoy. Join us for another metaphor next week. I'm Delia Delore. Keep safe. Till next week then. Goodbye.